It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast, featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Larissa. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for joining us. Real quick promise. Please find us and follow us at Mistrigue Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We have curated content on Pinterest and Flipboard. Check out our channels on TikTok and YouTube. And if you would be so kind, like that famous prince we all know, please show us some love and rate and review us. Positive vibes only, right? But first, champagne. Welcome to Misdeeds and Intrigue. Well, hello there, Carrie. <laughs> I wish I wish our audience could see who you are today. It's Woke Wednesday, so therefore, I am Meghan Markle. No, I was when I went to the wedding. I got these cool masks, and I just thought I'd surprise you because we kind of have some royal news today. By the way, I'm Larissa. I'm going to just dig in because we got some hot takes today. Okay. So it was just announced that none, none of the royals will be in uniform at Philip's funeral to spare Harry and Andrew's blushes. Duke of Sussex wanted to wear blues in royals outfit, but Queen has decided they'll all wear morning dress in breach of tradition. So the only one that was really entitled to wear was Prince William. But again, just like what happened with the Commonwealth, he had to step back so that, you know, there wasn't any temper tantrums. Stop it! Because I just read that she was considering letting Prince Andrew wear his military. Because he's the favorite. But now she's just like, this is hot off the presses, just in the... Yeah, because Harry will go back and say that there was a race, or unfairness, they did it to me because I'm an outcast now. And that they're just protecting Andrew because you know that one of the kind of things that they were alluding to in their interviews is they were protecting Andrew. In fairness, they should not. He should not be able to wear his military. If, If Harry can't, he definitely can't. No, he had to step back from royal duties too. And he got vice admiral. He only got up to the rank of commander. When he in his naval career, he got vice admiral at his, I think, 55th or 50th birthday. And then he was going to get, he offered not to get admiral at, I think, the next five year anniversary of his birthday in, in lieu of all the stuff going down with Epstein. However, he still was saying, I want to wear my uniform. And he was kind of making a deal during this whole thing of the funeral, which he should have just shut up. I think he was trying to use this opportunity as a way to kind of get back in with his duties because he even made that public statement coming out of that private church ceremony of talking about, well, he didn't die to COVID, but now we're all in the same boat of mourning. And Pierce Morgan came out and was like, listen, until you start answering questions from the FBI and about Epstein, you can't wear the uniform. You didn't earn the rank. You're not, you had to step back from royal duties. So shut the fuck up about this stuff and start talking about the shit you need to be talking about. Oh, also in case anyone's been living under a rock or in a cabin or in quarantine, Prince Philip has died. The queen's husband, 99 years old. He has passed. God rest his soul. 
Commentator Ashley Pearson, who joins us from outside Buckingham Palace. Ashley, Prince Philip is said to have been the one to give the boys the strength to walk in the procession behind their mother's coffin back in 1997. It was particularly heartbreaking watching them today, wasn't it? It certainly was, in particular because of the very frosty uh, relationship between the two brothers, considering what they've all been through. As Harry himself has said, my brother and I have been through hell together, uh, thinking particularly about that walk behind their mother's coffin. And then, of course, today we saw that there was actually a cousin, Peter Phillips, uh, put between them because of how tense things were. And if you watch the arrival of William and Harry, uh, Harry kind of looks over at William, but William is very stony-faced and looking directly ahead it's a very frosty uh, initial uh, greeting, if indeed that is the first time the brothers have seen each other in more than a year. Um, yeah. Having said that, there was some very uh, good reason for hope as they exited the service. And Kate Middleton today is being hailed as a peacemaker. Mm. You may have noticed that um, Harry and Kate kind of lingered and she began the conversation with Harry and then, of course, William joined, and it was like the whole nation held its breath as William and Harry then began to walk together uh, up the hill in Windsor. Of course, none of us know what was said, and I, of course, one conversation cannot have undone all the damage that's been done and all the bad relationships at the moment, but it was like they pushed pause on, mm. on their whatever problems they have with each other in honor of the day. It was extraordinary, in particular, because the thing that William is said to be the most aggrieved about in the Oprah Winfrey interview were the comments Megan made about Catherine mm. making her That's cry. Right. So it was, Kate was really the injured party and was said to be deeply hurt by those assertions on the part of Megan. So for Kate to be the one who actually brokered the peace today, it was rather extraordinary. And for everyone like myself, who felt so terribly sorry for the Queen sitting all alone, I've heard the Cambridge, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, Charles and Camilla, and I believe Harry as well, stayed with the Queen until about 6 p.m. today. So following uh, the service, although there was not allowed to be awake, there was, in fact, a, a small family gathering uh, to, to be there to comfort her. Anyway, so that's what this is all about. So they will just be wearing black suits, right? That's it. Nothing, nothing more, nothing less. I mean, maybe she'll allow them wear their medals or whatnot, but and she's been pressing on. She attended a retirement ceremony for I think it was like Lord Chamberlain. So she's been kind of pressing on and been quiet and moving on and all that. But the men are squabbling about what they're going to wear. But you know what? I commend her for that. She's like, all of you, shut the fuck up, put on your black suit, put a couple pins on and honor your grandfather, your father, get over yourselves. Like she just made it. She leveled the playing field. None of them can complain. I mean, William's not going to complain. Charles is not going to complain. No one's going to complain. But at least she just said, get over yourselves. This is done. This is what you're wearing. Deal with it. William still does air ambulance and whatnot, but... I don't think it's going to help him to be like, all right, I can't wear my uniform now to appeal to the baby and spoiled uncle. I don't think it's going to help their relationship. And by the way, I cannot fucking stand Obi, Juan Kenobi, the one that fucking comes out all the time as their mouthpiece that supposedly they don't didn't cooperate with. Sometimes they did cooperate with, but sometimes they didn't cooperate with. 
and him talking about what the intention of William's release was about the about the grandfather. Just stay the fuck out of it. It's interesting. The the life of this book originally started out as sort of the tale of their courtship and their first uh, sort of married life together, and of course the birth of Archie. And as my co-author and I, Carolyn Durand, uh, spent time getting to sort of know the couple through their work and the people around them, we soon started to get a sense of a bigger story that was developing, a couple that were slightly unhappy with uh, some of the difficulties and frustrations that they had within the institution of the monarchy. And of course, as time went by and as as it transpired, uh, things really changed dramatically. Wait, he came out? He came out and and said that. Did they fire Gail King as their emissary and hire OB? No, OB has always been there. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I know. I'm waiting for Gail too. <laughs> I always see his name and I think of Scooby Doo. But I know, me too, me too. It's like Obi, OB Scooby, Obi Scooby. <laughs> Obi, Scooby. Uh, <laughs> couple more things going on in the news. I'm going to switch over now to Denmark. I thought it was interesting that, you know, there's the Danish, we have the Danish royal family, right? The princess is married to the, to the prince. They're going to be king and queen one day, whatnot. She's from Australia. They met a bar. This unlikely love story started three years ago. The dashing prince was in Sydney for the Olympics. The young real estate agent was swept off her feet. The first time that uh, we met or shook hands, I did not know he was the Crown Prince of Denmark. Uh, it was perhaps half an hour or, or so later that someone came up to me and said, do you know who these people are? <laughs> and I said, no. And then we found out. Because that wasn't, I wasn't the only Crown Prince in that crowd that evening, so... <laughs> and supposedly she does not get along with her sister-in-law and the sister-in-law she alluded to the fact that they are kind of put out to pasture so to speak in France and that her husband had the brain tumor what or no he had a stroke I'm sorry Joachim Prince Joachim uh, so that is the princess's husband so he's the prince he's the brother and they are now living in France and she made some passive-aggressive comments saying that basically they had to do it because of the relationship with the princess oh he has claws oh my god that's gonna stir some stuff up yeah so it's interesting to see two women like yet again are kind of being pitted against each other there's like that competitiveness or there's two you can't have two queens in the kitchen are they about the same age they're late 40s early 50s they're both or is one younger and prettier well weirdly enough they look just like each other i think yeah, they're both about 45, and he they both have four children. They both have very strong chins and small boobs. Yeah. I have to say, speaking of boobs, did you hear about the AT&T girl? This is the saddest story. Okay, you've seen the eight. You've seen, this is just, this show is random, but you know the girl who does the AT&T commercials? No. Okay, so if you've seen an AT&T commercial on TV, it's a dark-haired girl. She's been AT&T's like spokesperson for the past couple years. And she was, in the beginning, she was wearing, you know, like form-fitting outfits, nothing trashy, um, form-fitting outfits. And she was getting all kinds of social media hate, harassment, because she's well-endowed, right? 
She's got a voluptuous body. I mean, she looks tiny to me. If that's if that's voluptuous, then I'm like a Yeti because good <laughs> God. Um, <laughs> so, so she was getting all this hate. So they let her block her own scenes now and direct her own scenes. And this poor thing, she wears these bigger button down shirts and she always puts a table in front of her always a table or something and she's still getting harassed and she said you know you guys don't have the right to see my body anymore because you ruined that by by just completely harassing me oh there's all these like memes and everything I know it's really sad I mean she's she's a good spokesperson for them but now they're letting her block her own scenes and direct her own scenes so that's so sad and her boobs aren't even that I know it's not unnatural it's honestly there's like so many more of them than I have time to report um here's how to handle make your milkers your identity once you show people their words have the power to hurt you they'll never stop doing it ah I was trying to figure out like what were they making fun of because she looks like a normal everyday girl Hey, real quick, before our show keeps going on with, you know, all of our random hot headlines and stories, I wanted to tell you about a local artisan. I don't know about you, but I love to shop local. I feel like there's always really good vibes about it and you get really unique things. So I want to tell you about a brand new shop that's out there for internet shopping. It's called Newbie Treasures, N-U-B-I-E, treasures.com. The purpose of this jewelry company is to provide beautiful pieces that are specially designed for an intention of well-being from happiness and kindness to prosperity and abundance. I'm telling you it, this shit has really good chi. They have necklaces that range from $15. The majority of the pieces are really affordable. They have rose quartz, blacks, onyx, earrings, necklaces, pendants. I mean, it's just gorgeous stuff. I actually knew personally the artisan behind the designs myself. So definitely please check them out. You can go to newbietreasures.com. She's also on Facebook as well as Instagram. So somebody died. Someone other than the prince? Yes. So bring, I'm going to bring it back to 1987, golden year. Uh, my year, I graduated. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> this was the time of UFOs. And do you remember Gary Hart? Yes. His wife died. Oh, no. Please recount the story of what you remember of this. Do you remember like the 1980s? We had some crazy scandals. But wasn't he on the back of a boat with... Was it Fawn? Was he on the lucky lady? I thought that was the other. She was the one with the religious dude. Oh, remember Tammy with the with the eye makeup? Who was Gary Hart's? Donna Rice. Oh, that's right. Wait, and what was her story? God, now, now I really need to do this. Lee Hart was on track to become first lady when her husband Gary was the favorite to win the 1988 presidential election. But his campaign fell apart after he had an extramarital affair was exposed with a young Miami model, Donna Rice, in 1987. He continued to deny the allegations, and Lee Hart stood by her husband. The frenzy around Hart's affair marked a major turning point in the way the U.S. political press covers sex scandals. She died on Friday after a short illness, aged 85. And I think she actually died in Colorado. Oh, he was of Colorado. Oh, that's right. But this happened in Miami, because I remember that picture of them on a boat, right? Yes. So do you remember all of this? 
I know they're on the back of a boat and she's like sitting on his lap. Yes, I do remember that. He was a front runner. Well, let's trace a little bit of what's happened the last few months. Aspen. You go to Aspen over Christmas. I'm an avid snow skier. You're young, you're pretty, and you go to a party at Don Henley's house, rock star Don Henley. Right. right. Was he a particular date, friend, what? I've dated him, yes. Okay. And at the party, you're introduced to Gary Hart. I met him there, yeah. Did you know who he was? Didn't really pay much attention. There were so many people there, and we were involved in serving food, and whether or not there were enough glasses and that kind of a thing. Just So it wasn't a big deal? It wasn't a big deal. It was one more hello, hello? <laughs> exactly, yeah. The next time you met him, Miami. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me how? Yes. Um, some friends that I was with, we left a party to go onto a boat owned by a friend of ours and didn't know it was chartered and found out when we walked on the boat that it was chartered. And he was one of the individuals on the boat. Well, you went to a place called Turnbury. Tell us what it is. It's a yacht club and a friend of ours keeps a boat there mm -hmm. and it's docked out front most of the time. And uh, we decided to go onto the boat. And there so, is? And there, there he is. Yeah. And you said? I was embarrassed that we had invaded their privacy, that's the way I felt, and said so, but had recalled meeting him briefly in Aspen and just, you know, rehashed that whole thing and uh, we had a few laughs. But it was just coincidence that you yeah. said yeah, Okay. Was. Gary Hart invited Donna to take a cruise on the boat, that boat being the now famous monkey business. He. Donna, her friend Lynn Armont, whom she had known for three months, and a hot fundraiser by the name of William Broadhurst, left for what was to have been a day trip to the island of Bimini. But the group stayed overnight and returned the next day. Did you know that he was married? Not at first, no. The other day, I was trying to find information on Prince Albert. Do you remember in the 80s, all you saw in all the gossip magazines were the royal family in Monaco. If it wasn't Diana and Fergie, then they were running stories about the one that ran away with the circus worker, the one that cheated on and her husband died in the boating accident. Like that's all you read was all those stories. And now there's nothing like I, I, I was having such a hard time finding information on Albert and his wife. Yeah. I mean, I found a little bit, but it's crazy how much we used to be fed by those stories. And now you hear like nothing. That's a crazy thing. I remember where I was when Stephanie and Princess Grace were in that car accident. Really? Yeah, I remember exactly. I was in, I was in Croatia and we were driving and the radio was on and it was like a BBC station and they reported it. And I remember just feeling so brokenhearted. And then there was a whole scandal around it like did someone cut her brake line I mean that is an interesting thing to deep dive back into because but I just remember some controversy surrounding it Princess Grace of Monaco Grace Kelly has died she died in a Monaco hospital tonight with her husband Prince Rainier and her three children beside her a hospital and palace spokesman have said only unfortunately it was true that she died of vascular and cerebral hemorrhage and the suspicion is that that is the result or that is the complication of the result of injury suffered in a car accident in southern France on Monday. 
You may recall that Princess Grace and her youngest daughter Stephanie were driving on a mountainous road in southern France when their car went out of control. It is believed the brakes failed. The car turned over and Princess Grace suffered multiple fractures. Died in a Monaco hospital tonight of complications as the result of an accident. Oh, do you think they were in a fight and she grabbed the wheel or do you think? I don't know. I mean, I haven't looked into it. I haven't really thought about it since then, but I just remember being heartbroken because she was a people's princess even before Diana was because she was an actress and she was so elegant and so composed and she didn't sell anything like matcha tea or golden tea or, or she didn't leave gift baskets on people's doorsteps and have them post on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, she didn't do that. No. Or, or, or mail, mail cakes. I actually looked up that recipe and I'm getting inundated on Pinterest for it. I kind of want to make it now. Thank you, Megan. I kind of want to make it. Do you remember Real Housewives of Beverly Hills with Yolanda when she was picking the lemons from her garden? She was oh, making that God. beautiful chicken though. I mean, that girl could make a roasted chicken and she'd saunter up the highway hill it was so weird they had this amazing house that was right above the highway and she had to saunter she had to do like a vertical thousand foot climb to get to her lemon tree or her seating area meet the sackler family art patrons cosmopolitans and believe it or not almost single-handedly responsible for the nationwide opioid crisis the sacklers aren't just rich they are rich as of 2016, the Sackler family has a net worth totaling $14 billion. The Sackler family is behind the blockbuster painkiller drug, Oxycontin. The Sacklers pushed this highly addictive drug through their pharmaceutical company, Purdue, and rake in $3 billion in profit every year. It is well documented that Oxycontin is one of the major reasons behind the devastating opioid epidemic. While the Sackler family has made billions of dollars creating, feeding, and worsening people's addictions, they go out of their way to change the narrative and instead focus attention on their philanthropic efforts in the arts, education, and sciences, like donations to fund the Arthur M. Sackler Museum at Harvard, and funding a wing in the New York Metropolitan Museum of Art. And they even had an asteroid named after them by the Leiden Observatory. Don't get me wrong, this family isn't all about charity and definitely enjoys a lavish lifestyle. So there's a book that's coming out that I kind of want to read. Have you ever heard of the Freer Sackler Gallery in DC? No. This is about the Sackler family. What I'm kind of curious about is they've donated a lot of art with the Smithsonian or, or I don't know if it's affiliated exactly okay. with the Smithsonian because New Year's Day, the gallery is open and the Smithsonian's are not, but I've taken my daughter there. Okay. It has a lot of Asian art. My daughter loves it. It's very beautiful. It's right over by... The National Mall, where you see all the um, uh-huh. galleries and stuff. But is this the giant pumpkin? This isn't. No, the giant it's not. Pumpkin, I it? love how you keep guessing. Oh You're my like, God, because I read this article about the. Okay, go, go, go. According to this book, the Sackler family tried to erase the 1975 suicide of the Purdue Pharma heir. So the family responsible for the opiate crisis, who have been trying to stay off the radar because of, you know, they're starting to examine the opiate crisis and you're going to be seeing a lot more about it because Netflix is working on some stuff. So they're the Purdue family? Yes. Not related to chicken family though, right? No, no, no. The pharma is the pharma. Tried to erase the 1975 
suicide of the Purdue Pharma heir, Bobby Sackler, 24, who was addicted to heroin. So the story of Bobby, the son of pharmaceutical giant Mortimer Sackler, was not covered in newspapers at the time of his suicide. It's been documented in a new book, Empire of Pain, by Patrick Radden Keefe, who was found and interviewed witnesses to his suicide. He had left his apartment on East 64th Street in New York City on the morning of July 5th, 1975, to visit the home of his mother, Marielle Sackler, on East 86th Street. I don't know why this is imperative, like the streets. But he fought with the elevator operator when he arrived in the lobby before storming into his mother's two-bedroom on the ninth floor. Bobby was overheard arguing with her while demanding money in the moments before he broke a window and fell to his death. The Oxycontin pills the Sackler family would invent and market 20 years later after his death are a semi-synthetic derivative of heroin. Okay, so he was a heroin addict at the time? Yeah, and they hid all of it. And they developed Oxycontin 20 years later? Mm -hmm. There's some kind of weird shit, isn't it? What antibiotics or drugs were they responsible for at that time? Like, what were they doling out then? I don't know. That's where we we got questions here. Isn't that crazy? Oh, my God. We need to get on that. Yes. I feel like there's so much about the Freer, Sackler families, all that stuff that we have not even dug into. Like, you have so to. much more is going to be coming out, I feel like. You must. You must. One of the things we had talked about on our lost podcast episode was that the, one of the people that started the company salt life, which is really big on the East coast. And I, I think I even had to send you pictures and explain it. Yes, 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 yes. He sold the company because the company that bought it had to come out, which has to be so awkward. Anytime a company buys another company and then something bad comes out about it, then they're trying to like say, Hey, Hey, it's not us. But he was responsible for killing his like 18 year old girlfriend in a hotel room. Michael Troy Hudo, he's 54. He got a manslaughter charge in the death of Laura Grace Duncan. He accidentally killed her because he said they were playing in a hotel room with a gun. The man who co-founded the iconic Salt Life brand is now charged with manslaughter in connection to the death of a Lake City teen. On Thursday, deputies say 18-year-old Laura Grace Duncan's parents called the Columbia County Sheriff's Office to request a well-being check. Investigators learned she was at Hotel Hilton Singer Island in Riviera Beach. When officers arrived, they found Duncan shot to death inside a hotel room, according to police. Detectives began searching for Troy Hutto. Investigators say he was found in Jacksonville by the Florida Highway Patrol. Police say he suffered from a medical emergency and was taken to Baptist South before he was booked into Duval County Jail. This happened in October. And remember, he just like took off and he got scared and all that. Oh, that's right. No, he's hideous. And she's how much younger was she? She's at least 25 years younger, right? She was a teen in the news. They're like, she's a teen. Oh, my God. That's oh, God. That's right. That's right. <sighs> I think he's probably high on drugs. They were having a fake gunfight with their fingers. And then he pulls out a real gun and didn't know it was loaded, but then he fled. So how, I don't even think it was even that nice of a hotel. Like she, and he was not cute. So I don't know what she was seeing in a 54 year old. Oh God. So is they, he's in jail. He's in jail now. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. They, they found him at that gas station talking to himself and being delusional. Right. Oh. God, what is wrong with young girls today? Why do they go for these idiot, idiot? 
They see like the life on these like our OnlyFans girl, and they're like, "Oh, I want the the boat or the whatever." And Instagram will be the death of our nation. I'm joking. I know. Thank God, I don't like my girls are really not out there. Yeah, no, I hate that. I hate that for her family. So, did you hear about the Red Bull air in the hit and run? Oh, in Thailand. Thailand. Red Bull is not a Thai brand, though, is it? Okay, go into this. Tell me. His name was Boyuth Budia. He crashed his car in 2012. He killed a police officer, but charges against him were dropped, sparking outrage in Thailand. Wait, he killed, he crashed, uh, he killed the police officer. Okay, okay, okay. He did a hit and run with like this fancy car, okay? So he didn't like crash it, then kill the police officer with a gun. No, he hit the police officer, killed him. Okay. Interpol had issued, this is really ironic. They issued a red notice, it's called, to arrest the fugitive Thai heir. Oh, he was Thai. I thought that was a Russian name. I'm sorry. I apologize to Thai people. He was heir to the Red Bull Billions. And so Thailand let him go. There was huge outrage. And then Interpol said, oh, no, no, no. We're going to arrest this dude. Wow. So they arrested him. Yeah. Oh, my God. And how long? The fugitive heir fled Thailand in 2017 on a private jet. So it took like. Where did they find him? Oh, I don't even know if they found him. That was that was the last like I could I could find. Oh, he hasn't they haven't even arrested him. So this happened in 2012, 2017. Interpol was like, no, we're gonna arrest him. Like it took that long, five years for charges. So he fled in 2017. As of 2020, Thailand ordered a new investigation into his alleged hit and run. The private jet has waited at Luang Prabang in Laos for 48 hours. Among its passengers here in the baseball cap and white shirt, Vorayut Boss Uwidhya. He's just spent a week touring the city's world-famous temples and staying at its most exclusive resort. He's only just back from London. Five days later, he'll go to Japan snowboarding. It's almost as if September 3rd, 2012 never happened. That morning, Bangkok awoke to the dead body of motorcycle cop Wichen Glanprazert. Around 5.30 a.m., a Ferrari had crashed into him and sped off, leaving him to die. Police followed a trail of brake fluid and oil to a gated compound and to 27-year-old Boss, a grandson of the co-founder of the Red Bull brand that last year made more than $6 billion in sales. Charges seemed inevitable. Senior police officers promised his famous family name wouldn't save him. But four and a half years later, Boss still hasn't been charged. Prosecutors have tried, but each time they summon him, he doesn't show, claiming that he's ill or out of the country. Police say they're ready to arrest him, but are still awaiting the public prosecutor's order. AP review of his family and friends' publicly available social media accounts shows he comes and goes from his Bangkok home unhindered, while openly enjoying a lavish lifestyle. In May 2016, a photo put him in Venice just days after failing to meet prosecutors again. And wherever there's a Grand Prix, he's often there with the Red Bull F1 team. Prosecutors declined an interview request, saying only that they haven't ordered an arrest warrant because, quote, extra investigation was needed. Boss's lawyer did not respond to repeated AP requests for comment. Meanwhile, the longer he is in charge, the shorter the list of charges becomes due to the statute of limitations. If he isn't charged by September, only one will be left, causing death by reckless driving. There's no suggestion of anything illegal behind the holdup. Even so, a leading authority on wealth and power in Thailand says the case has underlined a belief that the rich can get away with anything.
because there was so much public anger over there. And he dragged the body for dozens of meters before fleeing the scene. Yeah, he crashed his Ferrari into the police officer. Oh, my God. So no one has found him? And then at the time, investigators followed a trail of brake fluid that led from the site of the crash to a home in one of Bangkok's wealthy neighborhoods, where his damaged car was parked. The case has faced constant delays. He missed eight summons to appear in court in July of 2020. They said that they're going to drop charges. They cited new evidence. And then there was all that anger. So, I mean, this has been going on for years, years. Just hours after a fatal crash in Bangkok, Thai police detained a suspect. Warriut Yuwitiya was questioned by police over the death of a policeman in a hit-and-run incident. But he was soon released, and eight years on, police have announced the case is closed. We have received a final order from the Attorney General to not prosecute Warriut on charges of reckless driving and causing the death of others. Oh, I read this book. So good. It's called Snowing in Bali. It was about the drug trade in Bali, because Bali is really cannot have drugs, but they talk about how they would get drugs in the, um, the sailing. Oh, catamarans? Sail? Catamarans? Yeah. Yeah, kind of like that. So they would they would bring in the drugs at all that way, and it talks about how you the bribes and how you, the prison system it was but it's easy to read because it's through the eyes of people that were actually in the jail very broke down palace oh god you don't want to go to jail in, in bali no 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 oh my god now i have to read that too snowing in bali it was so good yes it was very good and she also wrote another one called hotel curb curb i can't even say the whole word but it's about the conditions of the jail over there but it's through the eyes of people there so it's written like as if you're reading somebody's story or locked up abroad stories oh my god this is so funny this is a digression but when i went to thailand i bought all these books on expats who went to jail and their experience because i (gasps) see that's why i'm obsessed I'm obsessed. That's like my one of my fears. You and I cannot travel together because we would be like, oh, sure, little old lady, I'll hold your bag for you. And then she'd leave. No, I take nothing from no one. I'm the best person to travel with. I I literally will strap everything to my body. I'm like sacrificing my life. I'm like, little Jake needs her. So I will sacrifice myself and I will stay at this jail. We'll totally go broke down palace. Yeah. Oh my God. I'll wear I'll wear you in a papoose on the front of my body so you won't get into any trouble and then I'll wear you'll wear my purse so everything <laughs> will be on the front of my body and we'll just cruise through Indonesia together like that all right last story before speaking, we yeah I was gonna say speaking of hiding out but we'll get to that all right last story I wanted to bring up because I meant to bring it up when we were talking about Colorado like five stories ago Please say, can, are we allowed to talk about what your brother got into with the UFOs and the animal cards? Please, please talk about it. Because yes. did that show up in a movie with Mel yes. Gibson like about UFOs? We have to have my brother on at some point in time. But okay, back in the 70s, there were animal mutilations, cattle mutilations specifically in the town I grew up in in Colorado. He did a lot of research and there was a sheriff at the time who had file upon file of all these cattle mutilations that were happening in northeastern Colorado. From my memory, they never could figure out how this was happening. And there used to be these magazines called UFO magazines. They were on newsstands. 
Northeastern Colorado was in that magazine like all the time because people were, you know, seeing UFOs out there. They were convinced that it was UFOs doing the cattle mutilations. The weird thing was, is there were never any marks around it. They would find these cattle completely mutilated. There were no prints, no animal marks, no animal. It was like something just came down, decimated it, and it, it was really freaky. So yeah, my, my brother does know about that. We'll have to have him on so he can go through his catalog of information. So what do you think it was? I don't know. I mean, it's just, I need to go into it deeper, but I it's already been proven that pilots see unidentified objects all the time. I wouldn't be shocked if it were something, someone else. I, I don't think anyone would be shocked. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't have to be a little green man. It can be something mechanical. It can be some sort of engineering that we don't know about or some sort of technology that can do it from afar. I mean, it, it doesn't have to necessarily be your typical alien, you know, with the big eyes. There was a show on... I want to say it's HBO and the one teacher was being threatened not to confirm the children's stories. Cause they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll tell them that you were nipping, you know, the whiskey at lunch. So he like never confirmed the stories until he was like way older, but the, even the teachers saw the same thing in South Africa, like all the, and the children went back. They're like our age went back and we're like thinking about it, that they all had the same experience knows that this event happened. Hiding these dark secrets, even from elected presidents. They came running up here in such a panic. Child can't make that up. Declassified government documents confirm ongoing UFO incursions at nuclear weapons sites. Are you saying that there's some evidence that still hasn't seen the light of day? I'm saying most of it hasn't seen the light of day. The same experience. No, like the plains of Colorado, Nebraska, Kansas, that whole area, South Dakota, it's famous for that. It's famous for sightings. They're going for like the nice people in Midwest. At least you guys are going to represent us well. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, that and I told you the Hudson Valley, Pine Bush area and all, the Hudson area was very, when in the 80s, there was a lot of sightings. And then today I found that podcast from unsolved mysteries the from the real unsolved mysteries people they had interviews with people and I was like I know I remember that I would not sleep upstairs because I was so scared that I they were going to take me and I would look for like marks on my body like the next day I was terrified to sleep in the upstairs bedroom because it looked out over the prairie and I was always terrified that I was going to see a UFO. I don't blame you. I mean, to this day, it freaks me out because we're kind of in the middle of nowhere. And we would, I would go see my friend who lived on a farm really in the middle of nowhere. She'd be like, let's go sleep out in the tent. And I didn't even want to look up because I didn't want to see what I would find. No, isn't it funny that our generation that was a thing. I think true crime is more popular now, but back when we were in the eighties, aliens were like our version of true crime. It was a thing. They were a thing. And the weird thing is, is that we have much more to fear with each other. Now we all hate each other so much now that aliens would probably be in peace. I was telling my sister the other day, if you didn't get picked up from school, I went to a public school, small town. If you didn't get picked up from school, they would let you stay out on the front steps. They would lock the school and everyone would be gone. I mean, can you imagine how many child abductions you would have today if they just like 
like you didn't have someone stay with you or call your family. It was like, okay, peace. See ya. And I feel like a lot, there was a lot more child abductions than they even say, because they would just say, everybody's a runaway. Oh, you're, he was 10. He ran away. Just everybody was labeled a runaway. And I feel like hitchhikers was like candy to serial killers. I remember my mom hitchhiking. I remember hitchhiking with my mom when I was a baby. Oh my God. I don't think we ever hitchhiked. I know my mom was very, very against hitchhiking. My mom was like 17 when she had me though. Like we were not, we were not keeping, she's like, we are going to find a ride come hell or high water. <laughs> yeah. Again. I remember her picking up a hitchhiker. <laughs> like, Hey, come join me and my infant in my car. Yeah. <laughs> Leave all your firearms in the back. Yeah, she's like gas grass or or uh, what is it? Gas grass or yeah, no rides for no one rides for free. Yes, <laughs> gas grass your ass. And then there's like a true crime st- show called Man with a Van because you know they always come up with really like descriptive ID channel. It's like man with a van. Even to this day, I do not park next to vans in parking lots. I'm sorry. Like I have such a bias against yes. work vans. And I know, I know it's there. Like you can't take it out of my childhood. It's like if the sexual predator could just be there or on a secret island in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Okay. Now we're talking about Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. And Ghislaine Maxwell was obviously Robert Maxwell's daughter, who we discussed last week. And this is just kind of a brief little rundown. You tell me what you think. I mean, the latest is she has been charged with sex trafficking, officially charged with sex trafficking. And her lawyers are like, oh, my God, the jail she's in, this jail is not even fit. It's, it's, it's unfitting. It's Hannibal Lecter couldn't even be in this jail. I'm like, are you kidding me? Then don't groom and, and pay and sexually molest minors. Then maybe you won't end up in jail. We kind of took off. She was Robert Maxwell's youngest daughter out of nine, two passed away. So the youngest of seven. When she really came into her own, she was, you know, in her 20s and her father gave her a gifting business in New York. You know, he let her run the football club for him in England. And then in the early 90s, when he bought the New York Daily Mail, I could totally see her with the football club because she seems like a guy's girl. and, And Andrew makes it seem like she's like the guy's girl. Yes. That's so funny that you say that because she, she was always into starting her own thing. So she started, well, her dad gave her this gifting company that never really made any money in New York. It kept her relationships alive. She always moved in the top echelon of circles. And I was watching some video that as early as 1992, she was at Mar-a-Lago with Epstein. So she started dating him really early on and she knew Prince Andrew very, very well. She brought him to New York. They went to a pimp and hoe ball that Epstein hosted. And so she was, she was really close to him. So for him to say that he wasn't close to that whole ring is out of her mind. So in the nineties, she kept on, she kept on making all these connections. Then he was really powerful. He was making connections and she was part of society, right? Even though she wasn't making that much money because her dad only left her at the time. I think she was making 180,000 a year, which would probably be close to 300,000 now. Um, But she would just spend it socializing. She got to know the Clintons. 
she got to know all these people. I feel like with them, it's almost in a weird way when you come from money. It's not like you necessarily have to have money because you'll still get invited to shit. But you, it's all smoke and mirrors. She showed up at everything. She's the socialite who was a big name in American and British high society for decades, hosting glamorous dinner parties and hanging out with powerful people. But did Ghislaine Maxwell use her connections for something unimaginable? She stands accused of grooming underage girls for her ex-boyfriend and confidant, Jeffrey Epstein. Yet while her name is now infamous, Ghislaine Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell, she's still somewhat of a riddle wrapped in a mystery who managed to evade the FBI for nearly a year. So who exactly is Ghislaine Maxwell? Ghislaine Noel Marion Maxwell was born in France on Christmas Day in 1961, the ninth and youngest child of Elizabeth and Robert Maxwell, a newspaper baron and member of parliament. But more about him later. She grew up in Headington Hill Hall in Oxford, a lavish mansion with more than 50 rooms. She went first to Oxford High School. From there, she went to Marlborough College, one of the most expensive public schools in the country. She then studied at Balliol College, Oxford. It's widely reported that Ghislaine was her father's favorite child, hence he named his luxury yacht after her. In an interview with Tatler in 2000, she called her father inspiring. Robert Maxwell's biographer wrote that from the time Ghislaine was at Oxford, her father forbade her boyfriends from coming to the house or being seen with her. He suspected that any man seeking his daughter was a gold digger. Reports suggest Robert wanted his youngest daughter to marry John F. Kennedy Jr., thus creating a powerful dynasty. For his daughter, Maxwell made her director of his football club, Oxford United. But she also went her own way, founding something called the Kit Kat Club, a group that brought together powerful women from the arts. The author, Anna Pasternak, attended the meetings and told The Telegraph, Ghislaine was very mindful of who you were, your status, your importance. I think it was more a way of advancing herself, making contacts that could be useful to her. She was at everything and she dated him. Were they legit dating? They were legit dating. And then when they weren't, he considered her his right-hand woman. So not only was she his right-hand woman, but she was managing the finances of all of his international properties. So she was managing those properties for him. So she knew where everything was and she had access to the money. And that's when, and now she's in hot water because there is a paper, paper trail of her paying this 14-year-old for sexual favors for Epstein and grooming her. And now it's coming to light that she would even join in. She would get naked in front of this 14-year-old and she would join in like as a threesome. The Maxwell name was not what it once had been in England, and she started a new life in New York. But who did she begin this next chapter with? Now she was without the gaze and guidance of her powerful and beloved father. Well, in November 1992, over a year after her father's death, an article appeared in the Mail on Sunday about how Ghislaine had been spotted getting on a Concorde flight from London to New York. Travelling with her was a greying, plumpish, middle-aged American businessman who managed to avoid the photographers. His name is Jeffrey Epstein, a shadowy, almost maverick New York property developer who for over a year has helped Ghislaine become a coveted fixture on the Manhattan social scene. During the last year, say friends, she has fallen in love with him and the couple are inseparable. Some acquaintances claim that Epstein controlled Maxwell and that he was an incredibly manipulative man. Other reports suggest Maxwell worshipped Epstein, with friends saying Ghislaine thought they might get married one day. However, according to charges filed in New York, Ghislaine Maxwell is now accused of facilitating Epstein's sexual exploitation and abuse of multiple girls from 1994 to 1997. 
The charges continue. Maxwell assisted and contributed to Jeffrey Epstein's abuse of minor girls by, among other things, helping Epstein to recruit, groom, and ultimately abuse victims known to Maxwell and Epstein to be under the age of 18. Maxwell denies everything. What do you think psychologically that is behind her? You read his book. Uh, So Bob Maxwell was always needed to be in control. He needed to be the one with the power. I think Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein reminded her a lot of her father. He always needed to be in control. He always needed to be in power. She was the most loved out of all the kids. She was daddy's little girl. He made exceptions for her. He did special things for her. I think that when she and Jeffrey weren't dating, she wanted to be that favorite girl. The only way to be that favorite girl that, you know, you're my gal, I gift you these girls. And when she became too old to be that great girlfriend, she had to go out and find something young. She just wanted that acceptance by him. I don't know why him. Oh my God, he's so creepy. But I think, I really think she needed that acceptance by a male figure. She was devastated when her dad died. Whereas one of the brothers was like conflicted. He was kind of like, oh, um, yeah, it's sad, but I'm kind of glad he's gone. In 2000, Maxwell moved into a townhouse on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, just a few blocks from Epstein's mansion. It was this mansion that was named in court documents relating to Maxwell's arrest. It was here that Epstein's victims were groomed and or abused, along with his other residences, an estate in Palm Beach, Florida, a ranch in Santa Fe, New Mexico, as well as Maxwell's personal London residence. The court documents say that Ghislaine helped to procure the underage women for Epstein. After developing a rapport with victims, Maxwell then tried to normalize sexual abuse with a minor victim through a process known as grooming. For example, Maxwell would discuss sexual topics with the victim and undress in front of the victim or be present for sex acts involving the minor victims in Epstein. Of course, Epstein himself was originally charged in 2006 and pleaded guilty two years later to procuring for prostitution a girl below the age of 18. He was sentenced to over a year in prison. But Ghislaine appeared unaffected by Epstein's fall. Here she is at the wedding of Chelsea Clinton in 2010, and she appeared at numerous public events on both sides of the Atlantic between 2009 and 2013. So in 2012, she kind of cut things off with him and started that ocean charity, Terramar. It was like save the oceans and make the oceans a major part. But this was after her dad died on the ocean? There's sort of like a weird irony there. Yes, this is in 2012. And supposedly, I can't find this anywhere, but supposedly she married again and had two stepchildren. Or I mean, she married for the first time. And Oh, she's married now. And her brother was trying to defend her saying she didn't try and hide. I'm like, really? She didn't try and hide because she was. No, she didn't even have her cell phone out there or nothing. They couldn't find where she was. After Epstein's death, Ghislaine was nowhere to be seen. For nearly a whole year, this well-connected socialite was now a hermit with no seemingly fixed abode. But the FBI said it had been discreetly keeping tabs on her and she had slithered away to a gorgeous property. And after nearly one year, Ghislaine was found here in a tucked away property in New Hampshire called Tucked Away. The FBI accuses her of the sexual exploitation and abuse of multiple girls, including some as young as 14. She now faces up to 35 years in prison if found guilty of assisting Epstein's abuse of minors. She has repeatedly denied any wrongdoing. 
It is the latest shocking chapter in the life of someone born into huge privilege and who had huge power and influence, but is now accused of helping Epstein commit the most unspeakable crimes. And then in 2020, she was arrested and now she's in jail waiting for a trial in July. And her husband's younger than her, says that she's this amazing stepmother to these kids. Her husband's younger and actually good looking. Oh God, how old are the kids? Please say they're not young. They are. They're early teens, like 12. Oh God. See, that's the disgusting thing. I'm like, how did she land this guy? He's another millionaire, good looking, seven years younger. I'm like, I need to find a dude, a millionaire who has mommy issues. How would you even trust this woman around your children? I know. And like, even the ex-wife said she was good around them. She groomed 14 year old girls, 14 through like 17 to have sex with an old pervert. She groomed them. How would you even? It was basically a surrogate body for her to try to turn him on. I feel like in our society, because we have Instagram and TikTok and all these sites. I feel like we are sexualizing our teens at younger and younger ages and their clothing. And so, and I'm not blaming their clothing. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it's almost like, well, they were 16. No, it's not okay. Like you don't know the mentality. Like my daughter is 15 and she, like, I look at her she is not there emotionally. Yeah. Having early sexual experiences and all that, it's not okay. And I don't care if my daughter wears short shorts and stuff like that. It's, it doesn't, it's not a reflection of her. It's hard to find shorts for girls even that are not ride their crotches. Like I cannot tell you, I literally have to go to old Navy with the ruler and make sure that they're appropriate for school. And she has very (laughs) long legs. She's very, she's taller than me. Yeah. Yeah, that's very hard. So if you looked at her, you'd be like, oh, she's wearing sexualized jean shorts. I'm like, no, she's not. It's very hard to find. Well, and and think how hard Ghislaine had to look because back in that day, there was no social media. No, you're right. She actually had to go handpick these girls. She had to be in the right places. Mm-hmm. She had to have scouts. Did you watch the one on, special on the one in Florida where the, they would recruit each other? I appreciate you coming down to talk to me. You're not in any trouble whatsoever. Okay. Okay, I just want to put that out there right now. How did you meet Mr. Epstein? Through a friend. Like two years ago or so. About two years ago? Yeah. When you first met him? Yeah. You were 17 then? Mm Mm-hmm. What is it that you were told you would have to do? Give him a massage. Okay. During the massage, did he... um, ask you to remove your pants or yes every victim told essentially the same story they thought that they would give them a massage that's what most of them were told that's what lured them there for a small amount of money what what else happened when you were providing the massage he took the towel off and started pleasing himself which i was very uncomfortable with like i wanted to leave right when i got there Our biggest concern was that the victimization not to continue. That's why we started surveillance right away. We surveilled the airport, the house. As we found additional victims, one victim would tell us about others. Those others would tell us about others. And it began to multiply geometrically. 
Okay, first of all, I know this is hard on you, mm -hmm. okay? Just take a deep breath. I'm trying, it's just, I was unaware that I was gonna be alone with him for that 10 minutes and I thought I was gonna die. She even put ads out, you know, for yoga and massage instructor uh, in newspapers, physical newspapers. So she like really had to keep her nose to the grindstone, which is terrible. The only thing about her, I have to say, and I'm not defending her. I don't think she should get off any lighter or whatever. I, it, to be honest with you, her being a female, this sounds sexist, but I probably hold her even higher standard. The fact that you did not protect daughters as you were once a daughter like that I'm very disappointed you know what I mean and girls trusted her girls trusted her exactly I put my guard down I've had help before when I've had help with a vehicle or whatnot where I'm more likely to trust a woman to help me and things so if she's gonna go down you need to take down some other men that he passed the girls off to yeah Jeffrey Epstein totally got out of any repercussions but you you can't just let her be like guess what we're gonna scapegoat her for all of this shit no there were other people involved exactly and in, that part I don't think is fair take some other people with her I'm hoping she'll squeal and we'll make sure we'll get enough money out of his estate to to pay off the victims no take some other people down that were other men that participated make it an example I mean and even this whole thing with Matt Gates, you know this alleged paying for uh minors to have sex with them and these parties you know that they would have these drug-fueled parties and he would the tax collector guy greenberg is it greenberg uh, was setting him up with these women and finding them. And they were playing Harry fucking Potter. And they, they were paying them on like Venmo. They, they were getting receipts for their minors to have said, I'm just like, oh my God, all these people need to just zip it up and, you know, date someone your own age. Yeah, it's Paul Pierce. He used to be an ex-basketball player. So he got fired from ESPN because he was like Instagramming live or Facebooking live. This It must have been a poker party or something with all these strippers behind him. So he's like, oh, yeah, I wish you guys could be here. And they just these girls in G-strings literally undulating on his shoulder. Then he holds the phone up there. Undul Every piece of furniture got undulated on. I mean, that had to have a deep clean. Can I tell you, when I was in Miami, as you do, I was listening by the pool and there was these women there. And I went down there with a boyfriend at the time. So he was doing his, he was working. He was in the Coast Guard. So he's working during the day and I'm hanging by the pool. She told me, I think she lived in like Oklahoma. She would charge people to go to parties at her house right yeah and strippers would come they would have game tables they she would do themes like seven deadly sins oh my god yeah. so they had food kegs strippers and they would they would i guess they would play cards or whatever she made so she was a raunchy party thrower yeah, but and she would do it at her house and she made hundreds. That's not what Princess Kate's mom does, is it? No. <laughs> no, it's not party pieces. <laughs> Ran out of her barn. No. <laughs> no. And I feel so bad for the brother. I know the brother had some depression issues and stuff, but I mean, Pippa married a millionaire. The other one's going to be a queen consort, consort. He tried to do that marshmallow business with the pictures on it and the wrapping paper. I think now he's doing dog breeding. 
I feel bad for the little brother. Oh, poor dude. How did we end up from strippers on the floor to Pippa and Kate Middleton's little brother? I know. Oh my God. We need to set him up with someone on 90 Day Fiance. He's got, he just got engaged. Oh, he did. Oh, that's good. A fellow dog breeder? No, she's just another blonde, but he was dating the one woman that had like an eight-year-old daughter, which I was kind of happy. Give single moms a chance out there. I, we need to, we need to have a t-shirt that says, give single moms a chance. Chill, darling. Still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. I will never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. me again and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on instagram twitter and facebook at miss intrigue pod follow us on pinterest and flipboard where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty chronicles of interesting events in history and of course true crime lastly check out our youtube channel because everyone has one right That features playlists of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out MissDeedsAndIntriguePodcast.com. But we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up. The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. A reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guest co-hosts are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie, Misdeeds, or Intrigue Podcast, or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and Intrigue Podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites, and or from YouTube, or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, please email Carrie at misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only.